0: The House comes to oral questions. The first in the name of the Honourable Chris Hopkins.
1: Thank you, Mr. Right Speaker.
0: On, right on with Chris Hipkins, sorry. To
1: the Prime Minister, does he stand <laughs> by well, better make sure I get the wording right? Does he stand by all of his government's statements and actions? Oh yes.
2: In the context in which they were said and with the facts that were then known? Yes.
1: <laughs> does he agree with Todd McClay? that Winston Peters is, quote, fast earning himself an international reputation
2: as an apologist for Russia. If not, why not? Uh, Because that statement was made without any relevance to the new circumstances that member finds himself in. He's in opposition. Ask questions that represent opposition, not when he was in government. It's time. That means ask questions that were relevant before, after this government was formed and not before. He should know that. That's why he's sitting over there. He didn't say he didn't disagree with it.
1: Supplementary question. Does he agree with Chris Bishop that Winston Peters often quote makes false claims to the media and the public? If not, why not?
2: This may be a slow constitutional lesson, but the questions that we are required to answer pertain to when we formed this government, then thereafter, and probably for the next 25 years. In his case, in his case, in his case, he should be explaining who his possible unlucky successor is.
1: The question Does he agree with Chris Bishop? No, actually, does he agree with Paul Goldsmith that Peter's big mouth is harming Kiwi businesses? If not, why
2: not? This is another lesson that's going to take a long time to sink in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we would like to to leave this Parliament for a few days and for a few weeks for them to lick their wounds because they are not learning the lesson that they lost. And as their former Deputy Leader Michael Cullen said, we won, you lost, eat that. Supplementary question,
1: Mr Speaker. Does he agree with the Right Honourable Sir John Key of Winston Peters, quote, historically he's always been sacked by Prime Ministers. It's a very different style to mine and it's rearward looking. Yeah,
3: definitely a style,
2: anyway. uh, As everybody knows, uh, Mr. Key made a lot of statements, but privately he's a secret admirer of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Supplementary question, Mr. Speaker.
1: <laughs> Does he agree with David Seymour that Winston Peters has, quote, fallen out with Nashville twice, with half his own colleagues within New Zealand First, even though he handpicked them. I mean, he can't work with anybody. I think you'll find that Chris Luxon is ultimately far too principled to try and work with them too. And if not, why
4: not?
2: They say that that all is fair in love and war and, dare I say, politics. And those things are said on the campaign. Some are meant to be true, some are slightly inflated, and some are sometimes wrong. However, those words are again said by Mr Seymour and Mr Luxon's actions, and mine as well. We are off to form a long-term, safe, successful Government. The Honourable
0: James Shaw, <clears throat> question to the Honourable James Shaw.
5: Thank you Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Finance. Does she stand by the principle in her government's uh, coalition agreements that, quote, decisions will be based on data and evidence, end quote?
6: Yes, I stand by the full principle in the coalition agreements, which is that, quote, decisions will be based on data and evidence with programs regularly assessed to see if they are delivering results.
5: In that case, does she stand by her statement that she has, quote, seen evidence that the living costs of lower-income New Zealanders are based on a range of things, end quote, and if so, what data and evidence has she seen that increasing bus fares will lower the living costs of low- and middle-income New Zealanders?
6: I have seen information which I would hope the member would also have access to, which shows that living costs consist of a range of things. Bus fares are one of those things. A very important factor is also what people's after-tax incomes are. And this is a government that is committed to lifting after-tax incomes, including by delivering income tax reduction next year.
5: So is she saying that bus fare, increasing bus fares will decrease the cost of living for low-income and New Zealanders?
6: That is not what I said. What I said is that we are a government that is committed to addressing the cost of living across a range of factors, including ensuring that people have higher incomes, including those who use buses.
5: What data and evidence has she seen on how much rents will decrease by and when as a result of the changes to the Brightline test? Uh,
6: The Brightline test, uh, having been extended to 10 years, uh, has had the effect of stopping some people selling their properties uh, because they are trying to avoid that tax. I've not seen any evidence that extending the Brightline test to 10 years lowered rents. What
5: data and evidence has she seen on how much money will be returned to the pockets of New Zealanders by reducing the transparency of our tax system by repealing the tax reporting bill?
6: I reject the assertions in the member's question. We have a very transparent tax system. We don't need a silly bill that makes IRD write silly reports.
5: (laughs) So how much money will each New Zealander receive as a result of the repeal of the Act? Uh,
6: the, The purpose of the repeal of the Act was not to deliver direct money to New Zealanders. It was consistent with our coalition's view that government should be focused on priorities. And that member was a member of a government that wrote endless reports about everything, and very little was delivered. We're going to be quite different.
0: Question number three in the name of Miles Anderson. Thank you, Mr Speaker.
7: My question is to the Minister of Finance. What reports has she received on the state of the New Zealand economy?
6: Mr Speaker, yesterday's half-year update showed that New Zealand faces a number of economic and fiscal challenges, in particular the toxic combination of high inflation and interest rates, a slowing economy and rising unemployment. But despite that challenging outlook, confidence in the economy is returning. ANZ's business outlook shows business confidence is at the highest level since March 2015. And inflation expectations among businesses are the lowest in two years. We've got a lot more to do in the coming weeks and months, but it's an early vote of confidence in our government's plan to beat inflation and get New Zealand's economy back on track.
7: Miles Anderson. How are Kiwis responding to the government's first steps to rebuild the economy?
0: Honourable Nicola Wallace.
6: Mr Speaker, ANZ's Consumer Confidence Survey released earlier this week shows what ANZ described as a hint of Christmas cheer as consumer confidence continues to bump up. In promising news, inflation expectations fell below 4% to 3.9%, the lowest level in three years. We are moving quickly to support the Reserve Bank in its fight to beat inflation, reducing government spending, reducing costs on business and clearing out broken regulations so we can get this economy moving again. (laughs)
7: Supplementary, what economic challenges were were revealed in the half-year update?
6: Yesterday's half-year update showed that with the last government having let inflation soar, interest rates will have to remain higher for longer to get the inflation genie back in the bottle. That is tough news for Kiwis, who are struggling with the cost of living and now facing big hikes in the cost of servicing their mortgage Our Government knows New Zealanders are doing it tough and we also know the only way to get ahead is with a strong economy. Low inflation, low interest rates and consistent economic growth. That's what Labour inherited in 2017 and it's what we'll be working hard to deliver again.
7: Supplementary. Miles Anderson. What next steps is the Government taking to support Kiwis with the cost of living?
6: Our Government is committed to delivering tax relief for hard-working New Zealanders. To support that commitment, yesterday we announced $7.5 billion of savings our first three weeks of work to restore fiscal sustainability. It is no surprise that for six years Kiwis didn't receive a cent of tax relief. When you have an addiction to spending, you just can't afford to let New Zealanders keep more of what they earn. Our Government is setting out a new chapter, cutting the waste, delivering the basics, and letting New Zealanders spend a bit more of their own hard-earned money. Yeah.
8: That's
0: right. Thank
8: you. <laughs> the uh, uh, South documentary. South documentary, The Honourable Grant Robertson. Uh, does she agree with National MP Miles Anderson, who said, "quote You would think if you were going to do tax cuts that they would be best to come in on the first of April, wouldn't you, at the beginning of the tax year? So maybe there will be they will be addressed in this mini budget. They'll need to be included anyway." And if not, what message does she have for Mr Anderson?
6: My message for Mr Anderson is congratulations on winning your fine seat. You are going to be a fine representative and I believe you will be someone who will stand up for farmers, the productive economy, those who run tourism operations and those who create jobs and incomes in this country. So keep up the good work.
8: A question, Mr. Speaker. Supplementary to the Minister, is Miles Anderson correct that any tax cuts should be addressed in the mini-budget and why weren't they?
6: I think Miles Anderson is correct that New Zealanders yesterday enjoyed learning that this Government in just three weeks has made a $7.5 billion down payment on tax relief, that we remain committed to delivering tax relief in July next year and I think New Zealanders... Are also of the view uh, that while Grant Robertson is obsessed with the arcane details of IRD tax programs, actually we're a government that's getting on with it.
0: Question number four, in the name
8: of the Honourable Grant Robertson. Oh, excellent, Mr Speaker. To the Minister of Finance, does she stand by all of the fiscal and economic commitments made in the coalition agreement signed by National, New Zealand First, and Act?
6: Yes, subject to final consideration and decision-making by Cabinet.
8: supplementary question. Will, will the total value of the savings and new revenue initiatives in the list that she released yesterday be used to fund the tax cuts programme in the coalition agreement?
6: As the member knows, uh, savings, re- reprioritisation and revenue can all contribute to the Consolidated Fund, to the accounts of the Government, And yes, we will be saving money, we will be reprioritising money, we will be raising revenue from new sources, such as better audits at the IRD, and all of that will support two things. Yes, it will support income tax relief. It will also support better books.
8: Heavy lifting there. Mr Speaker, uh, was the table of savings and initiatives that she issued in hard copy in the budget lock-up yesterday, a Treasury document?
6: Sorry, the member will have to repeat his question.
8: Was the table of savings and initiatives that she issued in hard copy in the budget lockup yesterday a Treasury document?
6: Uh, that was a table provided to me and uh, by a Treasury that had gone through a Treasury assurance process.
8: Uh, supplementary question: What are the quote good estimates that the Treasury has given her of the cost of her tax cut policy that she talked about on Radio New Zealand this morning?
6: Uh, The Treasury have provided me with indicative costings uh, of what it would cost to deliver on National's personal income tax plan. They've caveated that carefully to say that it does depend on how we design that policy, and according to the coalition agreement between National and ACT, we are still taking detailed design and implementation advice.
8: Oh, supplementary question: Do the concepts of ACT's income tax policy, as a pathway to the delivery of tax cuts that she noted just now in her answer and in her media re- release yesterday, include the reinstatement of a, oh sorry, the the uh, reduction of the 39 cent top tax rate? No. Oh, supplementary Ooh. question: What other elements of ACT's income tax policy remain on the table?
6: We are having detailed discussions. We're taking a range of advice. There are a lot of options. What we also share in common is this. We want to deliver income tax relief next year, but it is our view that in principle, Where we can, we should allow New Zealanders to keep more of their own money. We shouldn't be a government that just keeps spending and spending and spending with very few results to show for that. New Zealanders had six years of that and they didn't like it very much.
8: supplementary question, Mr Speaker. Does she agree with Cameron Bagri that he is surprised that she is doubling down on tax cuts and they would not be top of the pops for me, quote, right now, or indeed the OECD's view that such tax cuts would add to inflation?
6: Uh, I'm not surprised that Cameron Bagri has a view. He is entitled to it.
8: That's the question, but supplementary. Does she agree with the editorial in the New Zealand Herald this morning that her hyperbole will only serve to undercut her credibility in the long run? And will she join me in some taxpayer-funded hyperbole aversion courses, which apparently some colleagues think I need too?
6: <laughs> well, I'm sure that the member and I have many things in common. Uh, there's also many things that differentiate us. And one of the things that I hope, I hope and I'm working with this fine team of people to deliver, is that we will be people who, when we say things, we deliver them. Right. We will be people who make things happen and deliver results. Um, and yes, it was very nice to see you last night, Mr Robertson.
9: Question number five, call James Meagher. Uh, my question is to the Minister of Housing. What recent announcements has he made regarding Kainga Ora? Well, uh, Honourable Chris Bishop. Today
10: I have released the terms of reference for the independent review into Kainga Ora, Homes and Communities, <laughs> which was announced earlier this week. As a government, It is
0: the last question yes, time I'm, just, the well, I'm year. just
10: pondering the number of jokes I could make about demotions yeah, on just, the other while side. Well, I'm speaking. Speaker. You're not.
0: Uh, it is the last question time the you. Just try and keep it a little bit seemly. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Less noisy.
10: As a government, we are deeply concerned about the performance of Kainga Ora homes and communities. Their operating deficit is already at $520 million and is forecast to continue to increase. This hits the government books directly and so it's important Kāinga Aura's financial position is sustainable. The terms of reference announced today will allow us to get answers to these crucial questions on their finances.
9: Up, what are the terms of reference he announced earlier today for the Kāinga Ora review? Mr Speaker, the terms of reference include
10: the financial viability of Kāinga Aura homes and communities, asset procurement and management, engagement with communities and tenants, tenancy management, their remit, and the current institutional arrangements and whether they incentivise better performance. The scope we've set will allow us to really get under the hood of Kāinga Aura and see what's working and what isn't. It will look at financial performance, the efficiency of their building and construction practices, as well as the things that impact Kiwi communities like how they manage badly behaving tenants. I'm looking forward to seeing their findings and recommendations so we can get Kāinga Aura back on track.
9: What's up, James Megan. What do his recent Kāinga Ora announcements mean for hard-working New Zealanders like those in Mid and South Canterbury? <laughs>
10: I well, thank the member for that very good question and admire his advocacy for those people. Uh, Mr Speaker, Kainga Ora's performance impacts every New Zealander, including those in mid and south Canterbury, uh, those who need support uh, or who may be looking for support uh, in the future. And it also impacts every New Zealander who pays tax. And they des- deserve to see their hard-earned tax dollars spent wisely. That's why we are very focused on getting Kainga Ora uh, back on track. Thank
4: you.
0: Question number six. In the name of the Honourable Dr Megan Woods.
11: Thank you Mr Speaker. To the Minister of Finance, does the Government intend to implement the National Party's climate dividend policy? If so, will all the funding currently tagged
6: to the Climate Emergency Response Fund be used to pay for it? In answer to the first part of the question, yes. And consistent with our coalition agreements, this will be subject to final consideration and decision-making by Cabinet. In answer to the second part of the question, the mini-budget yesterday confirmed decisions to enable the climate dividend, including returning funding from the Climate Emergency Response Fund, returning funding from the Government Investment and Decarbonising Fund and the National Land Transport Fund.
11: Supplementary, Mr. Speaker. Will every household receive an equal split of the total, total dividend
6: funding pool adjusted for household size? As the member would know, if she had read the climate dividend policy, which she referred to in her primary question, it is our intention that the climate dividend be used to support income tax reduction.
11: Supplementary question, Mr Speaker. Will the climate dividend scale with the carbon price?
6: Uh, uh, The member would have to repeat her question. Certainly. Will the climate dividend scale with the carbon price? I am not sure what the member is referring to. The climate dividend is intended to be the proceeds of the emissions trading scheme. And we intend that those proceeds will be used to support income tax reduction.
11: Supplementary Mr Speaker. Does she agree with the Treasury over the long term, the total cost of achieving emissions reduction targets and addressing the impacts of climate change will be
6: significant and is likely to exceed provisions made in the forecasts. Well, the government is committed to meeting our climate change commitments uh, and we... Uh, As part of our mini-budgets, we considered the climate implications of returning funding from different different initiatives, including GEDI and the Clean Car Discount. We also considered how decisions might impact our ability to meet future emissions budgets. From the advice I have received, I do not expect mini-budget decisions to pose a significant risk to achieving our first emissions budget.
11: What about EB2? Supplementary, Mr Speaker. Isn't it true that she has no intention of meeting any recognised criteria of a climate dividend with her so-called climate dividend, and what it is is no more than a raid on funding for emissions reduction spending to fund her tax cuts?
6: No, and I'll tell you what I won't do either raid money from hard-working New Zealanders to give big cheques to profitable businesses like Blue Scope Steel and Fonterra. Hard-working Kiwis deserve that money.
0: Yeah, yeah. When you're ready, question number
3: seven in the name of Ta Kutaferris. Te te to the Acting Prime Minister, does he stand by his government's statements and policies on te Waitangi,
2: uh, That is the government's want to do, but given that some parties in this House believe that the Treaty of Waitangi is an evolving document, they are confusingly arguing that we should not stand by our statements.
3: <laughs> what examination and research, if any, has the government undertaken into the adverse effects On Maori of the legislation currently being passed under urgency.
2: The reality is that the legislation being passed under urgency is for everybody in this country, regardless of their gender background, their creed, or where they came from.
4: We treat people,
2: we treat people all the same, and don't have special treatment based based on ancestry, which some in this house prefer.
3: Has the government applied any treaty based analysis on the policies currently being heard under urgency? If not, why not?
2: Uh, the uh, treaty-based analysis, which uh, this government prefers, was written 101 years ago by a Maori who got his law degree in the record time in this country in just two years flat. His name was Sapranangata, Ngata. That's our authority. What's yours?
12: Order, please. Mr. Speaker.
2: Po- point of order, Debbie Packer.
0: Um,
12: I believe section 112 relevancy to the question. Uh, this question wasn't about Apuranga Ngata or Ngati Puro. It is about Tiriti, te te which was written before the existence of aparanga Ngata. If we could return to the Kopepapa, please. Yes, but the
0: question asked for well, what authority the government was relying on, and I think there was a reasonable answer in that regard.
12: Uh, that, that, with all due respect, again uh, referring to 112 relevancy. There was absolutely no relevance of ta aparanga ngata being used in this house and being misrepresented. That was 100 years old and we're talking about today.
0: Well, with respect, with respect, I think it would be uh, odd not to accept that uh, uh, Sir Aparana ngāta had a reasonable degree of authority when speaking about the treaty. <laughs> Tā
3: ta- ta- koe uh, how can he think it's, a, it's appropriate to deliberately exclude the Tiriti partner in the deliberation of legislation that will have a profound impact on the lives and well-being of Farno, tamariki and even the
2: mokoponoa of the South? I thank the member for acknowledging that the legislation will have a profound impact upon all the people he talked about and a profound impact for the better. Based on their genuine needs, like was announced yesterday with respect to uh, uh, certain rates of treatment that were targeted directly to the Maori people in this case on the basis of need and uh, not some preferential basis that arises from the uh, Beltway of Wellington or the Sociological Department of the Universities with no connection with ordinary Maori. again,
12: Point of order please.
2: Debbie, a point
0: of Our one
12: to one, personal reflections. While we understand that the Deputy Prime Minister may not reflect and um, even rate Māori who go to university, that is a personal reflection and does not address the question that was put down.
0: No, I do not think it constitutes a personal reflection. Uh, I have been listening very carefully uh, to the answers because I understand some sensitivity, uh, but I do not think that is a, a, a fair uh, suggestion. Uh, with regard to the Deputy Prime Minister's answers this afternoon.
12: Point of order, please. There is an offensive reference.
0: Is it a new point of order or is it a continuation of the point of order? No, it wasn't new. Well, give it a go. Just, it's the last day.
12: Oh, <laughs> Your Generosity, thank you, Eteka. Um, it is the offensive reference, and certainly there is a, um, I guess an, a duty of care on us if we do look at one to one and the fact that we don 't want people out there thinking that they are ordinary Maori and not ordinary Maori. Every Māori matters, especially those who have opinions. And this is a personal reference. And Keita Paitere is that, if that is the, indeed the Deputy Prime Minister's views, but it isn't one that should be reflected in the House. Everyone should be tra- treated and talked about equally.
0: And, and with...
12: <laughs> excuse me.
0: With all due respect, I think that if uh, the Member were to look at the Hansard responses uh, from the Right Honourable Winston Peters... It would be hard to conclude that he was saying anything other than that. We'll move on. Question number eight, Todd Stevenson. Point of order, oh, Mr. Speaker. Oh,
5: point of order, the Honourable uh, James Shaw. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Speaker. In, in that exchange uh, just now about the previous points of order, um, uh, the right honourable Winston Peters was referred to as the deputy prime minister, whereas uh, in the question he is the prime Min- or the acting prime minister. And I just wanted some clarity about whether he was speaking as the Deputy Prime Minister or as the Prime Minister?
0: Uh, well, well, yeah, okay. well the, the point is that the point of order was not directed uh, in, the, in the way it perhaps should have been, so I responded appropriately to, uh, to that. Uh, but he is here today, he is acting as the Prime Minister, no question about that. Um, I'm sure he's very happy for the nation to have learnt that uh, by virtue of this question. Question number eight, uh, Todd Stevenson. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker, and Merry Christmas. Uh, my oh, question… thanks very much. Merry Christmas to you too, Tom. Thank you. we are going to go around the whole house because it could take a while. Just, just actually, a special we want like to Christmas... get home for Christmas.
13: Just a special
14: Merry Christmas for you, Mr Speaker. Uh, my question is to the Associate Minister of Health, Pharmac, and asks, why is the Government planning to change the rules relating to the availability of pseudoethagin? Uh,
9: Mr Speaker, Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, the government in its coalition documents has a commitment uh, to make pseudoephedrine based uh, cough and cold medicines available uh, again after over a decade of New Zealanders being denied these medications. The simple reason is because when you've got the winter ills you need the good stuff that works. People agree that pseudoephedrine uh, medicines are more effective and unfortunately the original purpose of restricting them, that was to stop the supply of methamphetamine, has completely failed as the price of that drug has sadly gone down and it's become more available. So the ban didn't work, let's get the good stuff back for the winter. Supplementary,
14: will the increased access to pseudoephedrine put us out of step with the rest of the world?
9: Uh, Mr Speaker, no, it will not. Uh, Countries such as Australia, the United Kingdom, the United States and Canada uh, all have pseudoephedrine-based medications uh, who are able to be purchased without a prescription. Uh, This change uh, will move New Zealand into line uh, with countries that we generally like to compare ourselves with. Supplementary.
14: Does the Minister think the removal of the ban on pseudoephedrine could inform his approach in other areas of regulatory reform in New Zealand?
9: Uh, Well, I think it's right across uh, government that we intend uh, to take a very responsible approach to regulation Uh, We don't want to make uh, rules uh, if they uh, don't have a clear problem to be solved or if the benefits of the rule don't exceed the cost. And clearly in the case of banning uh, pseudoephedrine, the benefits have been trifling. Uh, The cost to people's welfare have been large. uh, And so the rule will go. And yes, in conversation with the the government's dynamic young Minister of Regulation, uh, I've learned that that's going to be our approach uh, to many matters
0: come now to question number nine, in the name of Greg
15: Fleming. (laughs) My question is to the Minister of Health. What recent announcements has he made on uplifting immunisation rates for vulnerable population groups? Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'd firstly like to thank the health sector for keeping us safe over this past year and for their care and attention over the upcoming holiday period. Thank you. Uh, Mr Speaker, this morning the Prime Minister, Minister Portaka and I visited Porerua to announce a $50 million package to help local providers to lift the immunisation rates for the most vulnerable in their communities. Low immunisation rates put children at risk of life-threatening and in some cases deadly illnesses such as whooping cough and measles. It is critical that we take preventative health steps, such as immunisation, to protect those most in need and to drive better health outcomes. So good. Uh, What feedback has he received about this announcement? Mr Speaker, I was very pleased to be joined at this event by local providers, iwi partners and of course hard-working community-based health workers. It was great to hear from these providers on the work they do. We all have shared determination to make a difference for those with the greatest need and who have the highest risk. Delivering health care in communities helps relieve the burden on our under-pressure hospitals, and this Government looks forward to supporting local organisations who do such outstanding work for their people. What other steps will the Minister take to lift immunisation rates? Mr Speaker, National campaigned on improved immunisation rates, and these will feature as part of our health targets, which will be announced as part of our 100-day plan. I look forward to 2024 in a new year when this government will continue working to deliver timely access to quality health care for all New Zealanders.
0: Moving now to question number 10, in the name of uh, doctor Duncan Dunford-Webb, but I think may be asked by the Honourable Lee Jackson.
3: Kia ora. Kia ora, Mr Speaker. Meri kirihimete to you. Yeah. And uh, sure. uh, you on, beha- on behalf <laughs> – oh, do you want a translation? No, no, no. Merry Christmas. Oh I ask <laughs> no, I if you mean it. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All the best to you and your whanau, Mr Speaker. Oh, on behalf you. of the member…
0: Thanks very much, and same compliment back to the member. How long this going to go on for?
3: Ngā mihi o te me te ki Mr Speaker. Kei okay, Yeah. On behalf of uh, the member, uh, to the Minister of Māori Development, uh, does he stand by all of his statements and actions?
4: At the time, and in the context of making those statements, particularly the statements that I have made, that this coalition government will be ruthlessly focused on delivering on the needs of Māori and all New Zealanders, particularly in housing, health and education, unlike the previous government. Mr Speaker. Um, to the
3: Minister. Has the Minister indicated that the funding of the Waitangi Tribunal uh, will be reduced either directly or indirectly? And if so, is he using the reallocation of resources to help fund tax cuts?
4: It's a mango to Kare o te pakumahara kite ra kōrero i ki te maria.
3: Mr. Speaker, the, then why has the Waitangi? Tribunal senior leadership team informed the tribunal officers of of cost cuts and judge Wayne Wright of the tribunal has stated that cost cuts are necessary across all inquiries in the current financial year and that financial constraints are expected to continue and possibly
4: intensify. Thank you. Ta māngo, ta whare. I have not spoken to Judge Wainwright in many, many years.
11: Um,
14: <laughs> supplementary.
11: Uh, has he considered access to justice issues that arise for Māori claimants from budget cuts, and how does he expect to resolve these issues when he cuts funding designed to address claims bought in relation to crown breaches
13: of the Treaty of Waitangi?
4: It's a or or te I have not asked for any budget cuts in the Waitangi Tribunal. I have no recollection of the comments that have been made. That's
15: right. Don't give up, Willie. Don't give up. Okay.
4: Is the
3: Minister, along with the Prime Minister, prepared to front up at Waitangi in February 24 to discuss why he is looking at cutting funding to the Waitangi Tribunal?
4: And if not, why not? Te mangai As I have mentioned before in this whare, I look forward to the tongue and the hospitality of our Nāpui relatives and the motu at Waitangi
11: 2024. That's right. That's
4: right. And I do not have any recollection of talking to anyone about cutting the funding of the Waitangi Tribunal. Tihei Modi order.
0: Thank you. Question number 11, in the name of Ricardo Mendes march Feliz Navidad. (laughs)
14: Feliz Navidad, Mr. Speaker. My question is to the Minister for Social Development and Employment. What, if anything, is she doing to end poverty for people receiving a benefit as we head into the holiday season? Mr Speaker. Louise, uh,
16: Mr Speaker, our government will continue to make benefit and tax credit payments over this time. And in April, main benefits will be increased through the adjustment by the cost of living. This change will protect the real incomes of benefit recipients while putting the benefit system on a more sustainable footing. This early decision is expected to mean that benefit main benefits will be higher next year than they would have been if we had retained the current index to wage growth. Assistance through MSD will continue over the Christmas period to ensure that people can contact MSD if they need support. This Government's view is that the best route out of poverty is through paid employment. My officials have already begun work on how we can better support people off welfare and into jobs.
14: Supplementary. Does she agree with recent analysis that found that changes made to benefits will mean that over 300,000 people already living below the poverty line will be up to $3,120 off per year by the end of this decade?
16: Mr Speaker, I agree with indexation um, of benefits to CPI, which means that the real costs uh, that people face on welfare... Uh, will be taken care of. Uh, And I agree that during this dire cost of living crisis, the government's focus and priority will be to how to alleviate that to reduce people's hardship. Will she continue
14: implementing any of the welfare expert advisory group recommendations, such as a recommendation to index income support to movements in average wages or prices, whichever is higher? And if not, why not?
16: Uh, Mr Speaker, this government has made an early decision as I said in my primary answer to index main benefits uh, to the cost of living. Uh, this is to adequately reflect the costs that those on benefit face.
14: Does she believe that people receiving income support deserve to live in poverty? And if not, why won't she lift benefit levels above the poverty line?
16: Uh, Mr. Speaker, this side of the House doesn't want anyone living in poverty, which is why we absolutely have a relentless drive and focus on getting more on welfare into work, where they will have higher incomes, more opportunities and choices, and I will never, ever make any excuse for that.
0: Uh, a supplementary, Ivana uh, Linden.
13: E um, to the Minister. Is she aware of the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child and their report that has shared that they're seriously concerned at the disproportionate number of tamariki Māori, Pasifika experiencing food insecurity and housing deprivation in Aotearoa, New Zealand? And if you are, will you lift main benefits above the
16: poverty line? Uh, Mr. Speaker, this government's very clear focus on, is supporting uh, individuals and families into work, which will lift their income and lift them out of poverty. Sixty per cent of the children currently living in material hardship are in benefit dependent homes. So we will focus on how we <laughs> support more people off welfare and into work. It benefits them. More importantly, it benefits their children. <laughs> <laughs>
13: What is she doing to ease Christmas pressure on our frontline community services, such as Whangarei's own 155 Wharekai social supermarket? Where the CEO said to me, and I quote "Farno are going hungry. Kai continues to be our highest demand. Our 155 Wharekai supermarket is booked through to February already. It is very sad, and it's getting worse
16: in our community. Uh, Mr Speaker, I met with organisations in the Food Network uh, just yesterday and acknowledged the work that they are providing on the ground across New Zealand. Uh, and I also acknowledge that this is an incredibly challenging time because of economic mismanagement by the previous government that has driven the cost of living higher for longer, and those who are on benefits Good. and low incomes are That's doing enough. it tougher That's than enough,
14: others. Thank you. Point of order. Um, I don't believe the question was addressed. The, the question was in relationship to actions. Sorry, sorry. Points of order are heard in silence. Please start again. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I don't believe the question was addressed. The question was in relationship to actions, um, not in relationship to the past government. And at no point she um, talked about or mentioned um, any forms of actions that she would be taking in relationship to the quote that was given.
0: Uh, Well, previous Speaker's rulings do allow a Minister to refer to circumstances uh, in their current portfolio that that may lead to uh, difficulties for them uh, because of previous Government actions. So I don't know that that
14: was particularly out of scope. Um, Speaking to the point of order, um, the question was nonetheless asking about what she would do in relationship to the quote. I take your point that she can um, point to previous conversations, but she did not address um, the main, the main, the one and only leg of the question, which was about what she would be doing. Yes, I know,
0: but uh, the, the minister is a minister of the crown, minister of a government. They don't act individually; they act collectively. Coming now to uh, question number 12 in the name of Dan Bedward.
1: Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker, and a final Merry Christmas to you and all in this House. Uh, to the Minister of Revenue, what announcements has he made regarding the Taxation Principles Reporting Act? The Honourable Simon White. Mr Speaker,
17: this week I have announced that the Government will be repealing the Taxation Principles Reporting Act. This Act requires IRD to report against a set of principles as decided by the previous Government. Unfortunately, this Act is little more than a make-work programme using valuable IRD resources on producing reports rather than focusing on core business. Repealing this Act will allow IRD to deliver on the real priorities for our tax system.
1: what are the principles this Government does support for the tax system? Mr Speaker, this Government is committed to making sure
17: that the tax system is as simple as possible to navigate. Making it easy for individuals and businesses to interact with the tax system is good for them and better for the system as a whole. The Government is also committed to delivering tax relief for Kiwis and the boost in their back pocket to those who need it most we right. will do a whole lot more on a yearly basis than such reporting proposed under this
1: Act. What feedback has he seen from the sector on the Taxation Principles Reporting Act? Mr
17: Speaker, the previous government received extensive feedback on the Act from stakeholders when they passed it into law earlier this year. The message from them was clear. This Act provided no benefit to the tax system. That's enough.
0: Thank you. That's enough. Is there another supplement? on that? Okay. All questions are concluded.